Welcome to Trinity Radio. I'm Braxton Hunter, and along with me today is Jonathan Pritchett and Leighton Flowers. The Leighton Flowers. And today we're going to be talking about why I'm an anti Calvinist. I mean, we're not, but maybe he is. So it's here's, not heresy, it's come on. No, it's Harris' son. Wow! They gave us nothing but tradition and no argument. All they did was get on this stage, yell real loud, and set a straw man on fire. Okay, uh, this is... I, I... I was... not impressed. <laughs> I, I've never heard of this gentleman before, but... And there is no evidence at all, except in the imagination of Dr. Braxton and like-minded thinkers that there is such a thing as an objective morality. All right, well, that was a very passionate speech by Professor Alvarez. However, let me point out a couple of things that I have not argued tonight that Professor Alvarez seems to think that I have argued. Everything that begins to exist must have a cause for its existence. On behalf of humanity, God became man to die for the sin of the world. Then, because of that sacrifice, you can rise from the dead just like he rose from the dead. What do you think, Bridget? I think flowers is lunch. I think this is an appetizer flowers is lunch. <laughs> All right, Chris. All right, so why were Calvinists hating bigots, right? Is that what we are? Um, at least that's what Leighton is. Uh, this is an accusation that we hear from people who are fans of Leighton Flowers. Sometimes they want to throw that label at us, too, because we've actually debated Calvinists before, and we've talked about our disagreements with Calvinism. So despite the fact that there's Together for the Gospel, and despite the fact that there's the Gospel Coalition, and then there's the Founders Ministry, and then who else is out there? Nine Marks. Nine Marks. Acts 29. All out there going, getting their pom-poms for Calvinism and talking about how Arminians don't believe the Bible and whatever. He's an anti-Calvinist because he has one podcast, and he talks about soteriology, and he dares to talk about what these people and all of those groups say, because no one else really does that much, and just says, well, here's a different way to look at these texts, and here's why we disagree. Now, and for that, he's an anti-Calvinist. He's an anti-Calvinist, Calvin-hating, Calvin and he thinks Calvin's in hell, because he, he talks about... Now, Calvinism. before we let Leighton respond to all the things that we've just said about what he thinks, um, <laughs> we, should, we should... Let me first do this housekeeping thing and say that this... Uh, podcast is brought to you in part by Trinity College of the Bible and Theological Seminary, where we have both Calvinist and non-Calvinist professors, where this very week on a flight to where we are at present in beautiful Sarasota, Florida, yeah. I received uh, a message saying, why do you guys require so many Calvinist textbooks? Okay, So just because Leighton Flowers is one of our uh, great professors at Trinity, and just because the three of us have all done work in this area and have had debates in this area, it doesn't, it, yeah, it doesn't mean that uh, Trinity is, an, is, is not a Calvinist-friendly school. Right. We are. And so I have to give that caveat. I also have to say we have several new patrons. Patreon uh, members, and we, want, we appreciate them. I don't have them in front of me because we're on the road. And by the way, if this is your first ever episode of Trinity Radio, there's good news and bad news. The good news is 
Um, if you're one of the two people who's never heard of Leighton Flowers, we've got him sitting right here. But uh, the bad news is the audio and video quality is probably not the best. But if you'd like to help us change that, even on the road, then just click somewhere up over here above Leighton Flowers' head if you're watching the YouTube video. And if you're not watching the YouTube video, go to patreon.com slash trinityradio and help us make this show better. Thank you to all of our patrons. And now we're going to find out why Leighton is horrible. <laughs> so Leighton, what, what, what initial, obviously there's some clickbait going on here, but initially what, well just tell me, how do you respond when people on your show or that you meet in real life say to you, why are you just such an anti-Calvinist? Why are you just a one-string banjo that this is all you do, you get up in the morning and all you do is think about Calvinism? What, what, what do you say to those people? Well, I, I try to remind them that, uh, you know, I did exist prior to 2014 when I started the podcast. I mean, <laughs> I wasn't hanging on a hook somewhere obvious. inside of a, a Borg uh, storage unit or something like that. You Wait, know, you're so, a robot too? Yes. They pulled me out and started the, the, you know, according to some, in, you know, some groups, uh, Paige Patterson hired me to, to, you know, to sick the Calvinist or something like that. And, uh, nothing like that ever happened. There's nothing, there's nothing nefarious behind it all. But you know what's awesome? that people say those things. <laughs> That's actually pretty cool. That you, there's a whole mythos that you're some evil mastermind that these people have like, put into the world. It's like a conspiracy. Well, I mean, I, a lot of people don't know. I mean, I, I was the director of youth evangelism for 13 years and, and directed Super Summer, planned evangelism events, youth evangelism conferences. I traveled as an itinerant evangelist prior to that and even during my, my uh, tenure as the evangelism director. And so evangelism has been the focus of my ministry. I happened to be a Calvinist whenever I was younger, and so um, I grew up, uh, you know, in a non-Calvinist environment. Became a Calvinist in college, was a Calvinist for about a decade of my life, and even my church, home's church, split over the issue, and I was a part of that split, and went into another church uh, as a result of it. And so, it was a passionate issue for me because it affected a lot of things within my life. And then uh, I went off uh, to, um, uh, you know. When I, when I started a new church uh, there in uh, Wiley, um, uh, I was the uh, an evangelism uh, uh, travel and itinerant ministries while at that church. Mm. And so a lot of people accuse Calvinists of not being evangelistic, but I was a Calvinist and an evangelist. Oh, wow, fantastic. So, yeah, so I, I, I don't like the when people make those kinds of accusations. Against and you Calvinist. say that like all the time too. Yeah, and I'm almost, I almost started on every podcast by saying, I don't hate Calvinists, and I don't like Calvinism, and since I don't believe Calvinism is correct, but I, I almost, in every single program that I start off with, talk about how yeah. much I love Calvinists, how much I respect Calvinists, and I still get the accusation. It's right. almost like people don't listen to yeah, me. Yeah, I, I, would, I would just, I don't give those disclaimers. Every Calvinist that knows you and that talks to you um, in person on your show, in your Google Hangouts, whatever, Nobody buys this idea that you're some big mean jerk trying to divide uh, what the Southern Baptist Convention and all of this other stuff. Um, but the people who don't know you that are Calvinists, they always, uh, at least on social media, they want to say all of these things. This is that have you ever seen this program? Uh, James White, who doesn't like you at all, just or doesn't seem to like you at all, he doesn't even say. Oh, he's so mean and he's so this. I mean, nobody, that's... Yeah, there's a particular guy that on this very channel you can go and listen to uh, a 
couple of debates that I did with Leighton Flowers that were informal podcast debates. They had a moderator, but they were podcast debates. Um, and there's a particular guy who every time uh, we, I've talked to him about you, he seems to have this caricature of you that you are that way, that you were just this angry, upset, you know, you're really bothered by Calvinism, like in an angry, upset way. And I think, and I tell him, like, I don't know the person you're describing. I have been with Leighton Flowers many times. Right. I've been on his show. I've talked with him. This is just not this. This is one of the friendliest, nicest persons. Yeah. You know what would be awesome? To see Leighton Flowers angry. Because I, I'm not sure it's ever been seen. Right. It's like you <laughs> trying to get you angry. I try all the time to make Braxton angry. Yeah, this is kind of never. funny. I'll, I'll tell this. We're, we're at this church here this week. By the way, not anything to do with Calvinism. We're at this church doing an apologetics event. Leighton Flowers, myself, and Dr. Bridget sat on stage last night and answered questions for about two hours. And guess what? Leighton Flowers gave some great answers that had to do with uh, Christian apologetics and atheism and skepticism and everything else. And I never heard him mention Soteriology 101. I even tried to prompt him to. <laughs> he never mentioned Soteriology 101. He never talked about the Calvinism, Calvinism. thing. Right. The only thing that could even be remotely connected was for a moment we talked about, someone asked about the problem of evil, and we gave a, I gave a free will theology, and Leighton said, yeah, I agree with him. That's, yeah. that's the extent of right. it. Now, but I'll tell you what's funny. Uh, the whole night he was plugging his show. That's what was funny. Yeah, you talk about trying to get people. Yeah, well, yeah, this show. <laughs> but at, at a lot, talk about trying to get people uh, uh, fired up. Bridget trying to get me fired up. The first time we were here, the pastor of this church, great guy, Chip Bennett, and uh, he asks us. So between the two of you, since you're both debaters, who's the better debater between you and Dr. Pritchett? And Pritchett immediately says, "Well, of course I am," <laughs> and he looks at me like. Like, I should be shocked, you know? And I'm like, look, I live with this. You know, what, is, what is so surprising about this? But, um, so you're not, uh, you're not Satan. Um, we've established that now. But, but it uh, rhymes with Leighton. Yeah, Leighton is Satan. The connection, there might be a connection. That's right, that's right. Oh, man. Yeah, but given your busy schedule, you're, you're, um, you, you've just recently gotten a title bump. And so you started ignoring us on Marco Polo, unlike you used to. You used to always talk to us, now you're getting... Um, but this is a, a tiny fraction of what you do with your life, right? Yeah, I mean, I mean you're podcast. married with four kids, that's a that's a lot right there. Yeah, my, my yeah. wife, whenever she she came to the debate with James White, and yeah. uh, and it was kind of known then, he was kind of famous for calling me the one-string banjo. Yeah. Um, this is the only thing you do, Leighton, and... And my, my wife, uh, after talking to her, she, she, she heard that accusation and she goes, I wish you were a one-string banjo. You get your you get yourself too involved in too many things. That's that's usually my, my accusation and I, because I do enjoy a lot of things. And it was interesting, uh, several months after all of that happened with James White, um, he was he was on a, a podcast, his Dividing Line you know, program, yeah. and he was talking with Rich Pierce. And uh, he said, well, I've got sent this debate with Michael Lacona. And Matt Deleonte, and he said, I, I turned it on to listen to it while I'm riding, and I heard this familiar voice, and lo and behold, it was Leighton Flowers, because I, yeah. I coordinated the debate yeah. as a part of my apologetics ministry. And uh, and he and he and Rich were so surprised that I did anything else, I guess, except Yeah, for, and he actually said, I guess he's not a one-string major. I guess he has another yeah. string on that yeah. major. Well, let's, let's, let's count up the strings, though. Okay, you, you're director of evangelism, which is like sharing the gospel, which... Calvinists do also, but I mean, like this is evangelism is your main thing. That's right. Uh, and a director, and you get apologetics in there with that, which is good right. because we believe evangelism and apologetics go together. You're a professor for Trinity. Yes. And I make sure you work hard 
I, I try to give you more than you can handle just because I'm mean. And I only have one sociology class. The rest of them are right. different, yeah. different courses. On different yeah, sports. and of, of course, is, it, we're going to give him this material. I mean, just be dumb, right? right yeah. I mean, you know, right. we get students coming here because they want to take courses from Wade and Flower. Yeah. Uh, so, but he, 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 like he, you. <laughs> right, like you might want. So, so professor, director of youth evangelism. Uh, now, you know, at least nation globe trotting. He went to Israel. I mean, he does everything. Itinerant speaker. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, at, even at my home church, church, I don't. Yeah. I mean, my home church at First Baptist Richardson. Unless they just come across the podcast through my Facebook feed or something going on, um, most of the people in my home church don't even know about sociology one hundred and one. And I preach there. Uh, about once every yeah. six to eight weeks. And so I, I just, it just does, it's not a subject that just comes up normally. The, the reason sometimes people have that perception is because I created Sociology 101 as a separate blog and, and um, podcast because I didn't want to cloud my own Facebook feed with all these theological debated right. heated issues. Because, you know, you have friends that are just normal, you know, either some even Calvinist friends. And I, I didn't want my own Facebook feed just to be barotted with all of these things so i created a different facebook page right. and a different podcast and so and that's its own thing it has yeah, nothing to do with texas baptist has nothing to do right. with trinity college about theological seminary that's just your other little thing your little corner of the internet yeah. and i spend maybe that's way five more hours. people that watch it than our show which right. is sad yeah <laughs> <laughs> well and i spend maybe maybe five hours a week um, depending on how many any broadcasts i'm doing a particular week because sometimes i know I'm, the next week i'm going to be gone and i'll do several in a row or several at one time, just like you guys have done before. Yeah. Um, but uh, compared to, and I like to use this because I used to be a big, you know, sports center guy um, and a big uh, political pundit. Like I, I listened to Rush Limbaugh and all the talking heads on on all the different radio shows, and I just spent a lot of time. And I really felt convicted. Not that there's anything wrong with doing that. I mean, people want to do that with their pastime. It just it just felt like time wasters to me. Yeah. Well, now I don't watch all the college football games and all the college basketball games, all the stuff. I, I watch use the Dallas Cowboys, and that's about it. Um, and, and I just learned I, I bought back a lot of time in my life just yeah. by taking out some of the time wasters and, and filling that time with doing a podcast here or there or replying to, to, to issues that I see as, as um, stuff that's important to me. I did my doc, doctorate dissertation on sociology and especially – the rise of Calvinism within the Southern Baptist Convention. And uh, when I taught a course at, at originally at uh, Dallas Baptist, um, I had a section in my theology course on soteriology. Right. And the, the students just went nuts that day. It's like all of a sudden they woke up in the middle of the course and all of them had a question. And we didn't even get through the material that day. And I realized these guys are really interested in this topic. And so it was well, a hybrid course where we had... Um, recordings as well as the the in, in yeah, that's stuff. and so i just used the hybrid part of it to record some extra material that was optional for them to watch and that's how the podcast was birthed because mm. one of the kid one of the kids and the, the students in the class mentioned hey this is good can you put this like on a podcast or something and that's how sociology that's, was one that's fantastic yeah. all right so so i think that kind of answers the question of when people say things like well, why are you spending all this time arguing soteriology when you could be out, you know, winning people to Jesus? And your answer is, well, you folks that are out there winning people to Jesus, you do watch Sports Center, don't you? Well, this is my sports or center. Golf or fish. Yeah, yeah, this I is mean, my hobby. And what better hobby than talking about uh, the doctrine that has to do with salvation? You know, how do we understand salvation? How does all that work? Still, though, um, and, 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 and we have also recognized that there is, this is something that I have termed black magic. 
Like the reason yeah. your kids in your class thought this was fantastic is because it is a very intriguing subject. Yes. But I want to I want to I want to go down. I want to ask you a few things here, and just well, so they're on, on record. On that point, just just real quick. Yeah. I cannot help it that I post something about. Uh, you know, uh, one of the evangelism events that I just did, right. 12 people came to know the Lord and I'll post these kinds of statistics on my Facebook page and I'll get 12 likes and three comments. And then the, the, the next week I'll post, um, sociology defined rightly or something like that and yeah. define sociology. I mean, excuse me, um, uh, um, um, sovereignty defined rightly. And define sovereignty as not meticulous determinism, but as God really defines it in the scripture. Yeah. God does what he pleases. And all of a sudden, position and all of a sudden I've got, you know, 150 comments in the first, you know, 12 minutes, some <laughs> of which are debated kind of comments and, and a thousand shares and all these kinds of yeah. things. And it's, I can't yeah. help that people respond that way and to one post and not the other. And as I mean, far as right, doing that as opposed to evangelism, evangelism is your full-time job and then you do this. Yeah. So yeah. I wanted to point that out that yeah. well, he shouldn't do more evangelism instead of material because all he does is evangelism and then he does this little thing. Yeah. Right. Well, <laughs> and not to mention you don't you don't have to stop your normal disciplines in order to address other sociological or any theological issue. For example, that just happens to be my, my course of study. You don't you don't get on to a, a podiatrist, a foot doctor, by, because he posts articles on feet on a regular basis, um, or a, a dentist for posting articles on. Uh, teeth cleaning on a regular basis or tooth care. You, you, you expect that that field of study is going to post things on their field of study. Well, as you called me a sociologist, mm -hmm. I mean, I, I, that's what my doctoral study was on. It's on yeah. sociology. I, I'm going to post pretty regularly about my area of study, and especially since it impacted my life so much as yeah. a former Calvinist. Okay, so let's just get that the the let's just go down the list and make sure we have some questions down for those out there that need to hear it documented. Are Calvinists who who uh, all things being equal, like I know we don't know any particular person, blah blah blah, but all things being equal, if Calvinists other than their Calvinism believe what you and I believe, are they going to heaven? Absolutely. Okay, and and you and you don't see any reason they can't be evangelistic, and many of them are. No, most of them are. Uh, most of the Calvinists that I hang with or friends with my best friends of Calvinist. I've got a brother that's a Calvinist. Matt Chandler is a friend of mine. All very evangelistic. So we're Calvinist. not your best friends. No, you two that's are. What right. that's, that's what, what I heard. heard. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, uh, number three, uh, should you split fellowship with a Calvinist? Now, obviously, there are some churches where the Calvinist or the non-Calvinist pastor or staff or whatever makes it a big enough issue that it's it's divisive in terms of the right. fellowship, but taking that out of the equation, do you necessarily need to split fellowship with Calvinists? No, I've, I've actually used the example of Austin Fisher, the guy who wrote um, Young Restless No Longer yeah. Reformed, which I, a book I highly recommend. He is a non-Calvinist, and his pastor is a Calvinist, and they have a very successful, Same growing, very successful growing church in the Austin area, um, and, and I do not, well, it's actually north of Austin, Belton area, I believe it is. But um, very, very uh, good uh, church that's growing and thriving and, and doing well. And I know of several uh, churches that have those kinds of, of relationships. And so um, that's not always necessary. Absolutely not. Okay. Um, so we've, we've cleared all that stuff away. But here's still the question. What, like you say, well, I should be allowed to do this and nobody should be all that shocked because this is my particular field. 
Just like for me, it's evangelism and apologetics, the nexus of those two things. For Pritchett, it's New Testament studies and actually a little bit of the soteriology. For all of us, it's a little bit of the soteriology. We all have debates on this issue. But still, why is that your field of study? Why is it that you think this is, because we all agree it's important. Sure. The Calvinists watching agree that it's important. Yeah. Why is it important enough that it, that it deserves this much of your time, but still not a faith issue by which we mean something to divide fellowship or that person's not a Christian. Why, why does it deserve this much of your time? Because I think that's what people want to know. Sure. Well, there's several, several things. I think when we understand sociology rightly, we can better um, address the issues of apologetics, for example, and evangelism, motivations for evangelism, why we do evangelism, the, the methodology of our apologetic is driven oftentimes by our theology. And so uh, when we have an understanding of God's character as love and one who truly does love and provide for all people, then the way you approach apologetics and evangelism takes a different uh, approach. And now a lot of people don't necessarily want to talk about that because they, it, it sounds like I'm trying to say that Calvinists aren't as evangelistic or they don't engage in apologetics. And of course we know Calvinists that are engaged in both apologetics and evangelism. What I'm saying, however, is that true theology will always drive your methodology. What you believe about God will drive how you do evangelism, the motive for evangelism, and the methodology for your apologetic. And so this is one of the reasons I think it's important. If you get this wrong about God, his love and provision for all people, that he truly desires and longs for all people to come to faith in him and to believe so as to be saved, then how you approach people when you're evangelizing, um, your persistence in evangelism, your, your use of persuasion in evangelism, as we see in Acts 28, where Paul spent all day long trying to persuade them. Some are convinced, some would not believe. When you understand that, it will impact how you continue to evangelize and how you approach people. Um, I remember as a Calvinist, even though I would have never verbally said out loud it's something like, oh, well, that person must not be elect because he's rejected the gospel. There was internally a sense in which I would say, you know, I, I did all I could. You know, it, God, God has the rest. And, it, and yeah. it sounds like a very spiritual statement. You know, you do your job, let God do his job. You know, you present it. If they accept it, then that's what it was meant to be. If they don't, wasn't meant to be. I, I Personally, I just don't see Paul doing it that way. I see Paul trying to convince them all day long, trying to persist, trying to persuade them, using the law and prophets. He's doing apologetics. What, what's he trying to do? He's trying to persuade them of the truth. And he, and he continues to persist with them. And even in the cutting them off, so to speak, um, he's doing that out of love. Yeah. He's, he's giving them over so as to show them mercy, as, as Romans 11.32 says. And so even when God cuts off Israel in their hardened unbelief, it's not because he doesn't really love them or doesn't really want them or hasn't provided atonement for them, what he's really doing is an act of mercy, almost like a parent cutting off that rebellious teenager saying, I'm not going to provide home uh, home and, and food and clothing for you. Not yeah. because they don't love them, because it's, I'm not going to enable you in your sin anymore um, if, if you're going to continue to rebel. Yeah, And yet, he still has the attitude of Isaiah of all day long, I'm just holding it. Holding it, exactly. Even while he's doing that. Exactly. Okay, so I, I think that's a good answer that it does impact. I mean, what you understand about how salvation works, which is 
the thing that we disagree about, the, the Ordo Salutis, how it works, what's going on, that's going to affect your evangelism and your apologetics. Now, I can obviously see how it affects apologetics because as a working apologist, there are various methodologies. So let's take Paul, like you said. Um, I see that Calvinists often use an approach that's called presuppositional apologetics, as you right. know, and it's very it's it's a very different approach. We, we have other stuff on that, that you can go check out. But I see Paul in Acts 17, for example, using what I would call a classical approach. Now, people, right. I'm not saying that Paul was aware of, of Zondervan Counterpoint's book, Five Views on Apologetics. He's like, I like that one. But he does show first that God exists. He argues from the altar to the unknown God and all that, that God exists. And then he moves on to the resurrection. And it's the evangelistic apologetic because he calls them to repent and believe. And, and then it goes off the rails. Paul doesn't go off the rails, but they go off the rails. But in the midst of even that sermon, how would you respond? Because I'm not sure I've ever heard you deal with this one. Um, where he talks about how, because he's making the point that God is not like these stone and metal idols that you're creating. He's a, he's a, he's, he created us. We come from him. We're his children, not in the sense of some, uh, before you're aware of, of, uh, of, of, of Jesus, you're just already saved automatically. All of you pagans are already saved, but children in the sense that he's our source. We come right. from him. So it makes more sense that we're like him or that he's like us, a person, obviously far greater than us, but a person and not like these idols. But in the midst of saying so, he says, he determined your boundaries and your habitations. So it sounds like there's some determinism in that. It sounds like what Paul is saying is even where you live, your genetic makeup, who you are in the world and where you're at in the world, it's because he, de you know, he determined that. How would you respond because it's interesting because it's in an evangelistic apologetic appeal that I think is somewhat of a classical approach to apologetics, but there does seem to be something that sounds a bit deterministic. How, how would you respond to a passage like that? Yeah. Well, yeah, well, uh, I'm uh, playing the Calvinist here, okay? Somebody's, somebody's got to do it. I determined the, the times and places that he records and, and, and teaches his courses. That's is That's that, fine, but I wasn't asking you, right. Pritchett. I know what you think. <laughs> I just now he's just going to say what you said. No, yeah, I, like, I like his answer. No, um, th this is one of the, the misconceptions of those of us who don't hold to theistic determinism, is that they think because we don't hold to theistic determinism, therefore God doesn't determine anything. Well, that, that's, that's insane. And the equivocation fallacy. Determine doesn't mean... Lay off, Pritchett. This is flowers time. <laughs> okay. I love y'all. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he's exactly right. There is a sense in which we, we, we do say God determines things. I mean, he mm -hmm. makes decisions. And and his his will is not thwarted by a little peon man's will any more than the little fly that was just over here thwarts my will. I mean, it, it's autonomous and separate from me, but it has no power to thwart my will or to stop me from doing what I want to do. And, and, and I love in our debate that Pritchett and I had in Houston, is, is how he, he continually said, free will is not some superpower. It, you know, it's, right. not, it's, not some, it's not some mystical, weird religious word. It, it just means that we have the ability to make free decisions independent of, of God's decisions. And God can make decisions, and he's more powerful than us. And he can overrule and override and accomplish his purposes and his plans, despite our little peon decisions. But our little peon decisions are our own. They're not, yeah. they're not uh, tied to his decree or his decisions. Mm -hmm. They're independent of, of him, and that's why we're held accountable for our uh, decisions to do evil. Uh, when, we, when we do something that's sinful and wrong, 
it's completely ours. It's not tied to his de desire. It's not tied to his decree. It's not tied to some predetermined scripted plan. It's ours. And that does not mean that he can't make decisions and that he doesn't make determinations and that he doesn't get done what he wants to get done. Um, and, and that's what I think makes God's sovereignty so great right. is that he's able to accomplish his plans and will despite all these billions of billions of free decisions being made by people it's more impressive. all the time. That's much more impressive than God scripting and writing every little... Playing with toys. Yeah, and it's just, yeah, everything's just already made. The only reason he knows everything that's going to happen is because he's determined everything to happen. That's not impressive. What's impressive is him knowing what every free creature is going to freely do. That's, that's what ultimately displays his godness is that he's able to know something he hasn't determined. Right, he's not, able to foreknow what and robots. i got to say puppets and robots so they get triggered. So <laughs> we're not like puppets and robots and stuff. No, yeah. No, we, we are free moral agents, and yet God is able to know what we're going to say in the very, the very next question out of your mouth. God knows what it's going to be, and he hasn't determined what your very next question is. Well, let's is. get then to that question that God has not determined but is aware of, and that <laughs> is, um, so I understand how apologetics is impacted because people sometimes pick their methodology based on that because they believe that, uh, if you want to know why, they believe that, uh, many Calvinists believe that because of total depravity, you have this cognitive fallenness where uh, a lost person, an unregenerate person, um, uh, it, to, to talk about reasoning with them up to something like God's existence where they accept it is completely out of the question for a lot of them. Um, and, and yet my response has always been to our students at Trinity is God uses means. Calvinists say that all the time. God sure. uses means. And we all agree he uses preaching. Uh, the preaching of information about the gospel. So apologetics is just the preaching of the gospel, albeit with arguments and evidences. Nevertheless, we're aware of why they would choose a different apologetic. But in terms of evangelism, are you thinking of things like, like many non-Calvinists would do, things like what we call decisional evangelism, altar calls, um, uh, knocking on doors, sinner's prayer type stuff. I mean, stuff that I know that Calvinists listening, some of them are cringing at my reference to such uh, institutions. Is that kind of what you're thinking about? They wouldn't do that? Or is it, they're not going to, there's the, there's the fear that whether the particular Calvinists that are watching do this or not, there may not be an urgency that, hey, these people really need to hear it and I really need to be the one that tells them and I need to do it right because uh, they're really in danger. And, and it, you know, is that, is that kind of what we're dealing with here? Well, I, I would say this. I say, I would say that I agree with some of my Calvinist the people who express concern as, as from the Calvinist side of things about the manipulation that some people may engage in when it comes to evangelism. I grew yeah. up in the youth evangelism culture um, uh, in here in Texas and, you know, people tearing phone books and then, Get everybody to you know get everybody worked up in a, in a frenzy of, of emotional music playing smoke you know filling the room close your eyes say this these words after me uh, raise your hand if you don't raise your hand you're going to hell um, the I mean you know what I mean just you can you can sure. think of the most manipulative kind of environment that you can you can imagine and I've sat through those things and then and then see celebrated these thousands of people walking forward who may not have even really understood the gospel at all, yeah. but were caught up in the emotion of things. And the, the, here's the biggest issue with that. We as non-Calvinists should be a lot louder in our objections to manipulation than the Calvinists. And here's my logic behind that. 
if Calvinism is true, anybody who's elect in that room that's being manipulated is going to be saved. Um, and anybody who's non-elect in that room is not going to be saved. Right. And that manipulation of that um, person on stage has nothing to do and will affect no one in that room, either positively or negatively, as to where they spend eternity. Yes. On my view, however, that person could be causing people to believe they've really come to understand what it means to follow uh, and, and to be discipled and to follow uh, Christ. And they may be misled into mm -hmm. a false understanding of who God is and what it means to be a disciple right. of Jesus Christ. I should be screaming from the rooftops about the manipulation of people like that. Yeah. The Calvinists, however, are the ones who are screaming from the rooftops. Uh, illogically, in my opinion, it doesn't seem consistent with them screaming so loud about it because, after all, God did predetermine for that manipulator to be manipulative. Right. Uh, but it <laughs> should be, in my in my estimation, a lot more uh, something that's a concern for us as, as Christians to say, you don't need to manipulate people with the gospel. You need to speak truth and love, and you need to be very clear about what it means to follow Christ, to consider the cost of following Christ. Um, I think it's actually a lot stronger when we call students to give their lives to following Christ, to, that this is a, a, a sacrificing of your life to follow him, because I think students are looking for something to die for. In other words, why would they live for something if they're not willing to die for yeah, it? Meaning, purpose. It has yeah. purpose for them. So and well, I, I would say, I, I, would, I want to say that, um, first of all, I have an article from years ago where, you know, responding to Paul Washer, uh, Calvinist who's saying that very thing. He's saying, look, the reason that altar calls and decisional evangelism and things like that are dangerous is because this person may think that because they said some words, now they're saved. And then years later, when some pastor knocks on his door and tries to share the gospel with me, oh, I already got that taken care of. And my, my thought then was exactly what you've just said. Well, first of all, uh, if, 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 uh, if irresistible grace is true, then um, that person will be saved, whether they whether there was a manipulative altar call or not. And so altar calls from that perspective are not dangerous. And in fact, if you want to err on the side of caution, maybe do altar calls because unless you think God can't save someone in the midst of an altar call, you're right. safer to do it because it might actually be helpful. And I also want to say this as a decisional evangelist who has traveled and done that quite a bit for the past 12 years, Manipulated just people. because, well, that's the point I want to make <laughs> just because there are things like sinners prayers and altar calls and all that doesn't mean that that, that the way a particular evangelist does it is the same as what a manipulative evangelist right. does. Yes. I hear Rob Bell and Velvet Elvis, you know, saying, saying, well, I looked up and I saw no one raise their hand, but the pastor was up there saying, I see that hand out there. Well, of course that's manipulative. But if someone does what Dr. Flowers says and explains the, the counting the cost and all of that, and then calls someone in a very clear way, organized but not manipulative, to repent and trust Jesus and begin that journey of faith, um, that can be done without manipulation. But you're absolutely right. I, I, I agree, and I've been saying that for years. So it does impact evangelism. It does impact apologetics. And it's kind of interesting how soteriology, evangelism, and apologetics kind of hang together in a certain sense, I think, that way. Yeah, the, the, just because there are people who there are people who abuse the Bible doesn't mean we should stop reading the Bible. Right. Because there are people who abuse altar calls and sinners' prayers so doesn't mean we should stop doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the manipulation isn't one-sided either, okay? Whether it's an altar call come up front or meet us in the side room after the service if you want to talk, uh, I'm sure 
there's manipulation to get them into the side room after the service too. It doesn't. It's not. Well, they have a crew in there that would manipulate me. <laughs> I'd like to go get saved just to get a cup of coffee sometimes. <laughs> yeah. So, so to me, it's. I've always thought that the methodology debate is a distraction from the fact that Calvinists and non-Calvinist churches, all evangelical churches, just have a lack of discipleship. That's the real issue yes. that gets kicked down the road because they want to fight over sinner's well, prayer because they want YouTube. A perfect, a perfect example of that is something I talked to um, Steve Gaines, the president of the Southern Baptist Convention, on the show, where we talked about marriage. You know, half of marriage is in a divorce. So does that mean we get rid of the marriage ceremony? No, how about instead we, we offer uh, couples marriage counseling and discipleship in a sense of how to be good husbands and good wives and to make a marriage last. It seems like that would be a better, you don't get rid of the marriage ceremony to, to, to handle the problem. Yeah. You, you instead disciple the, the, the couple. Same thing with, with people who are walking aisles and saying prayers. Instead of saying, hey, we just stop, we just stop offering the aisle walking and that, that's going to solve our problem. No, how about... How about we offer more discipleship? How, would, how right. about we help students understand the, the reasons for their walking the aisle and help them to walk through those, the, those decisions um, and to understand why they prayed that prayer in, in order to, to follow Christ? Speaking of Steve Gaines, I remember after um, this big stink about asking Jesus into your heart came out or whatever, he did an amazing job of one Sunday sermon. I think you can find yes, it on YouTube, I heard that. where it was a biblical defense of asking Yes. And so I always tell people, it's not stop asking Jesus to come into your heart. It's stop stop asking people to ask Jesus to go. Well, and so honestly, I, I don't know, but I I, yeah. I haven't read that book about stop asking Jesus in your heart. But my understanding is he's trying he's, he's trying to address the fact that people, uh, maybe particularly in uh, like the Southern Baptist Convention, go down the every time an evangelist comes, every time there's they go down and get saved all over again. If that's what he's talking about, and I haven't read the book, then I agree in a sense. However, I I actually like people said to me when my daughter was was old enough that she was starting to understand issues of salvation. Well, you don't want to let her you don't want to let her make a decision now because then she'll trust that, and and that actually is a fear for our side, like you say. Right. But I I I rationalize then like uh, come on. I'd rather her walk an aisle, yeah, and talk to a preacher and uh, you know commit her life to Christ or whatever ten times and mean it once and really begin a relationship with Jesus than prevent her and then have her, as she did on one occasion, look up at me when I'm putting her to bed at night and say, "You won't let me be saved." Kind of thing, like you know, I, to me, I, I don't know, but uh, but but I get it. You know, that's worth mentioning. Yeah, I mean, you can. I don't know. There was these people. Did you start that sentence? No, with there a were direction there were, in mind. Yeah, there were people that were not dumb who can't. Uh, I can't. Um, the the guy's name is Evangelism Explosion guy. Yeah, uh, he's a Presbyterian guy. Yeah. Uh, D James Kennedy is that? Yeah. yeah yes. Okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. Still working then. Our <laughs> uh, four spiritual laws, or here's what Jesus wants you, or, or whatever those things. Those those men were not dumb. Those men were. Wanting to see people come to Jesus all over the country. Yeah. Billy Graham, not dumb. Yeah. Wanting people to come forward and receive Jesus. Yeah, strategy is not wrong. Right. Jesus had strategy. Exactly. Here's how you go out. Here's here, where you go. And here's the here's the seeming inconsistency with that. Uh, even from Charles Finney, and I know he's been kind of the demonized, has been the one who started a lot of the come forward kind of messages and the manipulation kind of things. Billy Graham is sometimes accused of the same kind of things. Um, he, here's the inconsistency. 
that I have in my mind, at least, and I'm trying to have Calvinists reconcile for us, is to say, on one hand, you say God ordains the means. Well, if the ordained means were a Charles Finney sermon for one of the elect to come to Christ, because I think all of us would have to admit that someone who was elected in the Calvinistic worldview did come to Christ under Finney's preaching and under Billy Graham's preaching. Mm-hmm. Well, did not God sovereignly ordain the means of Billy Graham and or Charles Finney? Right. And therefore, you're bemoaning the very means that God ordained. Yeah. Um, and, and therefore, you have to ask, why are you to question God? Why are you talking back to God by bemoaning the very means that he sovereignly ordained for them to hear the gospel? Um, and, and that's that's the inconsistency. On our side, however, when we see manipulation, if it's truly deemed as manipulation, it can be shown to be manipulation, I think we have a consistency to rightly call out a, a, a Christian pastor or evangelist to say, let's not use manipulative means. Let's be very clear with yeah. the gospel presentation. And then, like you said, follow it up with discipleship, for goodness sake. Yeah. Don't just leave this person... Um, as a, a floundering infant in his, his Christian walk, walk with that person, make a, a disciple, not just a convert, and then would actually be accomplishing something, I think, that's consistent in, in correcting the church from going too far right. into manipulation. Do, are you going to, do, do you foresee yourself doing this sort of thing for the rest of your life? You mean Sociology 101? Something like that. I don't know. I mean, um, as long as it scratches an itch and it seems to be scratching an itch because it's, it's able to respond to uh, particular things that are coming out because I mean, whether people recognize it or not, there are new Calvinistic sources and resources coming out all on an hourly basis. I mean, yeah. through all of those different uh, ministries and they have hundreds of thousands of dollars. I'm not sure where it's coming from book sales and everything else. I don't know where all of the money's coming from, but apparently there is a lot of backing for, these organizations, because it's a Lifeway has, I, I walked into a Lifeway uh, store in Longview the other day when I was preaching and, um, and I went to the, the, the theology section and I counted on the shelves um, of the Calvinistic authors. It was at least 10 to one you know, um, of Calvinistic sources on the bookshelves. Um, I don't know. That's just the phenomenon of where we are today. It hasn't always been that like that theological and theological history. But that's where we are right now. There's very few people from um, our sociological worldview who are putting out uh, sound, deep, robust theological materials. Now, there are a lot of the Joel Olstein types, you know, that are, um, you know, very chicken soup for the soul and it's, it feels good and all those kinds of things. But it's not deep, robust sociology. Or those are your two options. Theology. That's what it seems like. It's like it, it, it feels like in our culture today, it's either John Piper and Tim Keller and the other deep, robust Calvinists, or it's Joel Olstein and, and the health, wealth, prosperity. Didn't he I count him as a Calvinist. Yeah. <laughs> I read Joel Olstein's daily devotional on Ephesians 1 4, health and wealth Calvinist. <laughs> Is that right? I, I haven't heard that. Before, before the worlds began and were created, God wanted you to have all this stuff. So I was like, that's health and wealth Calvinism. <laughs> well, let me recommend some resources. Uh, He's I, one of yours. First of all, uh, on on our YouTube channel and on our well on our YouTube channel, but also on raxonhunter.com slash debates, we have Layton Flowers and I have debated together. Uh, I don't think I have it on that page, but on the YouTube channel, uh, Layton Flowers and Jonathan Pritchett have debated together on this issue. And on, but on tail on that one. But on Layton's on Layton's uh, blog and website, Sotriology101.com, 
com, uh, you can get a just a seemingly infinite, not actual, those don't exist in reality, but seemingly <laughs> infinite uh, supply of these sorts of things. And uh, so I want you to check out at least at least his James White debate and the debates that they've done. Um, and and uh, that'll whet your appetite for the main course, which is the base we've done. But, um, but then I also want to recommend his book, uh, The Potter's Promise, which is from Trinity Academic Press. If you want to understand this issue in a deeper way, uh, as well as a, a, a good explanation of Romans chapter nine, which is a big issue in this in this area, that book is is just great for it. Also, uh, there's a book that, uh, that some of our friends are in that I have a chapter in called "Anyone Can Be Saved from Whip and Stock," and I would encourage you to pick that up too. Um, and uh, and 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 let's see, what else do we need to say about to that? Uh, yeah, I mean, if we're going to wrap it up, is there anything else you want to say about this issue? That that if you, I mean, we don't have the audience that you have, but uh, aside from telling people they should subscribe to this YouTube channel and listen to Trinity Radio because Calvinism isn't all that's going on and you believe that. Uh, but aside from that, is there anything you want to say about this issue that you wish people would understand? Well, I, I would just say that, you know, kind of starting off from the very beginning with the question of, uh, do, you, do you hate Calvinists? No, I don't hate Calvinists. Uh, do I uh, disagree with Calvinism? Absolutely. And I want to state that with respect. Uh, speak truth in love. Uh, I hope I have displayed that on my program. I think those who actually watch it and listen to my heart see that I've strived to do that. Um, and I would also encourage those who are posting on my page uh, to reflect that kind of heart too, because I think some of the accusations that come towards me are not based upon my actual comments, at least I hope they're not, but they're maybe based upon the feel that people get when they come to a, a podcast page and look at the comments underneath it. And they think, oh, well, this person supports Leighton Flowers and look at how vindictive and mean they are towards Calvinists. Therefore, Leighton must be teaching them to do that or Leighton must be displaying that. And that's not helping my goal um, right. as trying to, 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 to bridge some gaps and to try to uh, help Calvinists to see what I, I, I have prayerfully come to see is correct about God's character and love and provision for us. But if we can do that, can, can I hold James White, speak to the fire for all his minions who say, horrible, nasty things about people. I mean, can, can we do that? No, we can't. It's, and so uh, I get that. Leave Leighton alone. Right. He is, <laughs> Leave Leighton alone. Yeah. And we, we, we heart John Piper in Greek. We love our Calvinist friends. Yeah. Uh, we love our Calvinist enemies who think that we're the rotten, most rotten people in the world. Um, we acknowledge people who won't acknowledge us as brothers. <laughs> you yeah. know? Yeah. Uh, so... And this for those of you out there who think, oh, this is three times now this season you've talked about this Calvinism issue. Yeah, sure, you guys aren't fixated on it. Yeah, we are. We want the viewers. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's, black, it's black magic. It gets the views up. But then That's also right. on top of that, uh, we happen to be with Leighton Flowers. I'm not going to be with Leighton Flowers and not have Leighton Flowers on. And I'm not going to have Leighton Flowers on and not have him talk about the thing <laughs> that he's most well-known for in this podcast world kind of place. But it's not what he's most well-known for in general. What he's most well-known for is reaching people for Jesus. Amen. And so we appreciate you being on the show, Leighton. And then uh, we want to say that, that we, all three of us on this couch are members of a group called the Trinity Commission. And that is a consortium of podcasts that uh, involves people that are either students uh, or uh, professors at Trinity College of the Bible and Theological Seminary. And you can sign up and take courses with any of the three of us at Trinity Sem, Trinity S-E-M.edu. Just go on there, uh, look around, and fill out the little eval thing on the right-hand side of the page. It doesn't cost you anything. 
to get more information. And so if you think even 10 years from now, you might be interested in taking seminary courses, do that. We believe that it should be cost effective for the student and flexible. We do it all through video uh, conferencing type stuff so that you can, you can watch the content when it's convenient for you and do the assignments when it's convenient for you. And you never have to set foot on our campus. We'd, be, we'd love for you to, but Lake never has. You never have to set foot on our campus in order to, uh, to get your degree. And uh, we would love for you to do that. And our students are, are getting traditionally published. They're involved in debates. They're, uh, they're serving at uh, accredited schools as professors and even presidents. And so there's no reason that you as a lay person or as a ministry professional shouldn't consider that even today. The other members of the Trinity Commission, obviously, Soteriology 101, uh, Matt and Billy at the Bible Brodown. We all love the Bible Brodown guys. Go check them out. And also Steve Gregg at thenarrowpath.com. You want to check out Steve Gregg. Guy has verse by verse on the entire Bible. So and then a whole bunch of other ones. That's your devotional material right there. Yeah, he's got a bunch of other He's stuff. a one-man seminary. He'll get you the whole Bible, plus systematic theology, church history, um, counseling, uh, pastoral stuff, and he's not even a pastor. I mean, just he's got it all there. So uh, thanks so much for being with us, and uh, make sure to come back next time at Trinity Radio. If you would like more content, click here, and keep watching Bible Studies, click up here. And finally, we want you to subscribe. We need more subscribers, so click here.